Hi, welcome to Ramblings of a Writer. I'm Amanda, or AJ Winter. I'm a 24-year-old writer from Wisconsin who loves reading, writing, and the 100 way too much. This is a podcast for writers by a writer. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hi guys, welcome back to the first official episode. So this episode, I'm kind of codenaming A Love Letter to the 100 because that's what this is, really. It's about me talking about my love for the 100. I'm not going to try to be as spoilery as I could be. Um, I'm going to be referencing things from throughout the seasons, but I'll keep them super vague and... I promise you can listen to this whole episode and not be spoiled for anything. I will mention a few characters and, like, a character arc um, that kind of refers to this last season that I'm watching right now. Um, but it's not going into super detail on how they became that character or where they got to where they are. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Um, basically, I wanted to record this sh- this episode because I loved the show, and since the new season's premiering tomorrow, I wanted to record this, and I am so excited for it. Like, I cannot stop thinking about it. Um, is it sad that I already am planning on wearing my Bellamy Blake shirt tomorrow? Because I am. I am that person. That's where we are. So, I might do a spoilery review of this season, season six, later on. So if anyone is interested in that, please let me know because I might have one of my friends on there, on here, to discuss with me because I love The 100 and I got all of my friends to watch this show. So it is one of my favorite things to talk about besides writing. So yeah. And this show has inspired me in so many ways. Like, I can't even tell you how much it's inspired me. So, the main ones that it's inspired me with, and since this is a writing podcast, I obviously have to tie it back to writing, and the main one is in my YA science fiction novel, which used to be called Vigilant, but um, it's no longer called that. I will go more into depth on that in an, probably in the next episode, because I feel like I should introduce you to my WIP. But my science fiction novel is codenamed My Bell Arc Book, so <laughs> I'll get into that later. And then I also have my YA fantasy book, which I codenamed My Echo Book, um, which is a character in the show. I don't really talk about her in in my notes anyway. I don't really mention her, so that'll be a mystery if you ever watch the show. So... I kind of wanted to talk about the writing and the world building on the show, so that's really what I'm going to be focusing on today. Um, Like I said, I am not going to try to be spoilery at all in case you've never watched it, but I am hoping I convince you to watch it because it is phenomenal and is so much more than the first season, (laughs) I promise. So I'm going to start off by telling you what what the heck the show is about. So I'm going to preface this section by saying if I sound at all like congested or I'm sniffling, it's because spring has really hit me. I didn't get a lot of sleep last night because spring hit me real hard last night. So anyway, let's dive in. So 
what is the show about? So basically, the story starts off 97 years after an apocalypse destroyed Earth, and humans are living in space on a place called the Ark, which is a bunch of space stations joined together to become the Ark. Yeah. <laughs> so we meet our protagonist, Clark Griffin, who was sentenced to solitary confinement, and we click... Blah, blah, blah. I can't speak. It's fine. So we quickly meet... Like I said, I can't speak. So we, <laughs> we quickly learn that any criminal offense is punishable by death, or rather, being floated. The one exception are those under 18, and these people are sent to the skybox where they will remain until they're 18. And that's when they're reviewed and determined if they're floated or sent back into the general population to contribute their useful skills. So, we find out that the Ark is dying, and they need to preserve as much oxygen as they can, so they decide to get rid of the prisoners in the skybox by sending them to Earth to learn if it's survivable, because they need some place to go, and they want to go back to Earth. So, when the, these 100 kids arrive to the ground, they're unsure of what to expect, but what they definitely weren't expecting was to find that people were already living on the ground, and those people are deemed grounders. So this is just like the basic summary of what we learned in the first episode. But the show is definitely so much more than this. Like, I wouldn't even say that this summary is the show at all. Literally, it is not even the same show. Sure, we have spacey things. But like, it, it it's not even the show anymore. <laughs> first of all, the characters have aged and everything. But like that that description does not sound like the show that I love, and I'm surprised I even clicked on it based on that description all those years ago. So, yeah, if you've never watched it and or you watched it and didn't get into it, I highly urge all of you to give it a go or retry it. You may have... You have to make it past the fourth episode because that's when it really sucks you in. Like, I gave up twice. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Like, I just did not get into the first three episodes, but when I hit the end of the fourth one, I'm like, oh my god, I have to keep going. So, yeah, you definitely need to give it a go. And even the showrunner, Jason Rothenberg, he, I think a while back, he watched the first episode with one of his kids for the first time in a long time, and he even said it was kind of rough. So, he, I, I think he even said, like, thanks for sticking around based off that pilot episode, so... Um, yeah, definitely give it a go because it is so worth it once you get into the story and you have to like sci-fi or science fiction, even like the hardcore apocalyptic stuff. So keeping that in mind, let's, let's get into this next section. So this is the section I am really, um, winging because I have very little notes on this section so this is going to be the rambliest of all ramble sections in this whole episode and that is on world building so I absolutely love the world in the hundred like it is one of the most intricate and detailed and just well thought out kind of like the culture of it all is just phenomenal and I love looking at like everything every little detail in the show is so intricately placed and so precisely placed that nothing should be overlooked and I think that's really cool um so I personally love all the sets the props everything and I love hearing about it um 
there's, I think, a prop guy named Anthony. He's done an episode with the aficionados, and he talked all about the props, and it's so fascinating to listen to because (laughs) there's just some really cool things that I would have never thought to put into something. Like, um, yeah, there's just so, so much. The clothes are amazing, and like I said, the gro- the the culture is amazing, especially the grounder culture, because that's where the show really starts to shine, I think, um, especially when we start moving away from just the space group of people, or Sky Crew, it's easier to call, call them that, so I'll call them Sky Crew here on out, um, and they, the grounder culture is, it consists of, like, 13 clans, or 12 clans, and they each clan has their own specific kind of niche and I just I love learning about each individual one and kind of where they grew up the one that we the ones that we really get to know are Asgeta and Tree Crew Tree Crew is the first one that we were introduced to in season two but season one there's a clan and I'm not really sure what clan that is because they're very different from the clans that we know so um, anyway, but, like, these, the grounders have these symbols, um, most famously is the flame, which you'll learn about if you watch the show, um, but all of this is interconnected, and they start setting it up right away, as in season one right away, and it's crazy, because I love looking back on how they set up the world and how they built it, um, and just see, when you do a rewatch, it's really interesting to see all these pieces come together and kind of where they got their inspiration from. And it, the show takes place on the east coast of the United States many, many years in the future. So, but um, I can't tell you how long it took me to figure out that the place they call Ton DC was Washington DC. It took me about three rewatches, and I'm not proud to say that. But. I got it. I should have gotten it a long time ago, but I got it. So, and then the Grounders also have this really cool language, which I occasionally reference, like Sky Crew and everything. That's part of their language. Um, Basically, it's this form of English that has changed over time and, like, it's a lot of things that go into it, but I've noticed, like, some English words in it, some Spanish, Latin, so it's kind of a hybrid of languages, and it, I think it's really cool to listen to, and I, I love it. I'm to the point where I've rewatched the show so many times that I can sometimes understand them without reading the subtitles, and that's kind of sad, in my opinion, but it's kind of cool. I think the guy who did the language is the one who did um, Game of Thrones as well. Like, this guy just makes languages as a profession. Don't quote me on that, but I think it's the same guy. I remember looking it up once. Um, But yeah. And so let's move forward to how it inspires me. Um, So I love the look of the sets on this show for my world building. Um, I have so many pictures printed out, right? (laughs) Like, I'm sitting at my desk, and I currently have a pile of pictures that I need to trim of, uh, Eliza Taylor, who plays Clark, and I have a lot, a big pile of, like, clothes to snip up, 
not like real close pictures of clothes from the show. And I'm just using it to help inspire my story. But I like to use reference photos for writing. And one of my favorite sets of all time was in this last season. And it's this beautiful bar set. And I, I like, it's so hard to describe in a podcast, let me tell you. Because this this bar is just gorgeous. And it was only in, I think, one or two scenes. And I am so sad we will never see it again for undisclosed reasons. And it's just the most beautiful set. Like, it's got beautiful, intricate furniture. And it's just, it, it is the place of antique dreams, basically. That's a little charred, but we're fine. <laughs> but... Yeah, I just, I love that scene, and there was no official, like, set photos of this bar, so I ended up just taking a screen grab off the internet of a conversation that took place there, and really kind of showcased the beautiful bar area. I don't even like bars that much, but, like, this was just my favorite set. I can go on and on about how beautiful this is. I also really love the Polis Market, so they have this mo like, when I think of a market, I think of almost Aladdin-esque markets, like where you got bunches of stalls and people and just, pe like, everyone is in this market, and that is exactly what Polis look like, and I just, I loved it, especially seeing, like, all the items that went into being traded, and how everyone was dressed. I just, I love everything. And I loved, there's this one outfit that everyone talks about from season four, and this guy was nicknamed License Plate Guy because they made his outfit with license plates, and it is the coolest thing ever. I just, I love everything about the show. I can see, like I told you, this is going to be the rambly section, and it definitely is. I've gone seven minutes into this section, so. But, like, the the clothes are really cool. They use a lot of, um, I've noticed, like, uh, I'm just trying to pull out my photos quick, but they use a lot of metal in their outfits, and I really love that. Like, um, yeah, like, this one of Octavia I'm looking at, it's from season four in the Conclave. Um, I'm not going to explain what that is, but that's where it's from. And there's, like, a lot of studs and a lot of, like, um, I don't even know what it is on, like, her chest piece. But, like, it's just accessories with metal. And it's, they're embroidered, like, not embroidered. But, like, they're attached to her clothes. And it's really cool. And they use things in unique ways. Like, I was reading an article as I was finding pictures that they used dryer lint to make it look aged. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, there's a lot of buckles, too. But it's just, it's really cool how they take something so mundane and fashion these pieces. And this kind of comes from my fangirling of face-off as well, because I love that show. I loved watching it when it was airing, and I just find it so fascinating how people can make, you know, face, um, 
alterations, kind of using special effects. And you have to do that with clothes, too. And I think it's just, it's so cool. And I also love the clothes on this show because Lexa, for example, she's one of this huge character that everyone loved. And her armor... So a lot of women in on television and in movie history, their armor has been to, made to sexualize them. And in this show, they really use the armor to function. And I really love that. Um, especially on Lexa and Octavia, because I'm looking at and a season five outfit of Octavia's. And it covers the important bits. Like, your stomach is covered. Your chest is covered. And that's the important thing. And I think that the people who really look into practicality and the function of an outfit is really important. And I just adore that. Plus, like, it just adds to the culture of the show. And I... I can't, I keep saying, like, I just love that, but it's true. There's no words, because I just really adore how much care goes into this show. Because I care about this show, is basically what I'm saying. So, the only thing that I don't like in the show is the clear xenophobia between the main characters and the grounders at the beginning. It got better, sort of, over time. But, like, I loved... The one part of, of, I didn't, I didn't, I don't love this part, but, like, I loved learning how these two groups interact with each other and kind of how they started to be accepting of each other over time because they're two vastly different people. The Grounders didn't grow up with technology, whereas the space people did, so they have some clear differences of knowledge and kind of how they interact with each other is very different. You know, they have to be have to learn to be accepting of each other, and I think that's really important in a world. Plus, you have to have some sort of drama in a world like this, because... But the xenophobia could have done... been dealt with differently. And that's the only part I didn't like. And it kind of went on for a few seasons. But I'm kind of glad it's getting a little bit better. So, it's not as clear as it used to be. So, granted, our world isn't as chaotic as the hundreds, so things are always going to be different, but xenophobia is never okay. So, this next section is my long section, and that is the writing. And that's kind of where I really wanted to focus on for this. So, I'm going to start off by talking about the literature and historical references that they make, because there is so much. I only, like, highlighted a few um, so I'm not going to talk about them all because I just threw on the ones that I thought of. So here we go. So one of the best things about this show is that they all, they reference so many literature pieces. I, like I said in the first episode, I'm an English major, so I notice these things and it's really cool when I like make the connection by something that they're doing, like, so this one character, her name's Raven, she, like, I just, I love her, and her favorite thing to do is flip the bird, or Raven, whenever she can, and it's my favorite thing to ever come about, and the way she does it, especially in season five, is just amazing, but 
in season three, they have this episode called Nevermore, and they literally have this character named Raven reciting The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe, and honestly, that was probably my nerdiest moment. I absolutely loved it, <laughs> I laughed so hard because I'm like, this is just the most perfect use of the Raven to ever exist, and... Honestly, it was everything I hoped for. I mean, you couldn't get more obvious that it was going to be a Raven episode with Nevermore, but then you have her reciting the Raven. Priceless. But they have so many great mentions in this show. Like, in season five, they mentioned Ovid's Metamorphosis, and namely the Roman bits. Um, I've never read it, but... That's what I'm gathering from my little quick search on the internet about this. But the line, looks like someone's read too much of it, or something along those lines, was uttered. And I honestly died because I love my nerd children. <laughs> but it it was so funny. And Homer's The Iliad and Odysseys used a lot. The Cat in the Hat randomly was used, but it was quoted. And I thought I'd throw it in here because I remember someone saying it. So... <clears throat> Um, but most of these were the Blake sibling references because I think they grew up on books or with books because they didn't have a lot of money. And Bellamy, honestly, would make, make a great history teacher because of how he named his sister. So, yeah. But their mythology references are through the roof, which kind of goes with the Elite and the Odyssey. Um, last season we had, season five, we had Damocles, which... Wow. If you are unsure of the myth, my quick wiki search told me that it is more commonly referred to as the Sword of Damocles, which is an illusion in ever-present peril faced by those in position of power. So if you've seen season five and you've seen the finale, then you know that this really hit the nail on the head. So that is all I'm going to say about that one. But just know it is very, very there. As in like obvious. Um, all three of these, by the way, are mentioned by the Blake siblings. That, so Damocles and the next two are mentioned by Bellamy or Octavia. So the next one is Prometheus, and he is a titan who is credited with the creation of man from clay, and who defies the gods by sealing fire and giving it to humanity, enabling us to survive. Well, because of this, Zeus chained him to a rock. So, Prometheus is mentioned a few times in the show, and though it's not an exact copy of the myth, the reference is still there, and he's mentioned a few times. So. And then, the last kind of mythological thing I have is Cerberus, and this was mentioned in Season 2 as the name of an experiment, and guys, this is not... This is very much like Prometheus, where it's... Not an exact copy, but the reference is very much still there. So basically, Cerberus is the Hound of Hades, and the three-headed dog is used to guard the gates of the underworld to prevent the dead from leaving. So, um, that's what it is. But, yeah, it's, it's similar enough that you can see the connection, but it's not, like, as obvious as Democles. And Prometheus is mentioned... A couple times by name, so, um, yeah, keep your eye out for those if you ever watch the show.
And an honorable mention is how I predicted an event in season five by looking up Leviathan in the Bible. Now, I don't regularly practice religion. It's not to say that I don't believe in God or religion or anything. I just, I grew up in a household that didn't believe in paying the church. So I still went to church with my grandma and everything, but as I got older, I, I'm, I'm very much a spiritual person, and I like to believe that there is something out there. It's just how I am. But um, I took a Bible is Lit class in college, and because a lot of things that I read will and did have a lot to do with the Bible and have biblical references, and, you know, it's it's a part of a lot of authors' lives. And this show throughout the entirety of it has um references to the hundred or to the hundred it is the hundred has references to the bible and i thought it was it would be interesting to try to like find out something about this one specific thing which was leviathan because of a certain aspect of the season and i ended up stumbling upon like this kind of theory based on some of the verses and I ended up being a little bit right about it. And I even recorded a segment on The Aficionados, The 100 Podcast. I don't even remember what episode it was or what episode it was for of The 100. It was season 5 for sure, but yeah, like I it's on there and it's on the internet. So, you can always go find it. But <laughs> I did record something like that. And yeah, I'm very proud of that. I'm to this day. I will never not be proud of that. So another thing that the show is really good at is the inclusivity of everyone. So though there's been no trans characters, they have a number of canon LGBTQ plus members. Um, the main character Clark is bi, and we have a lot of gay characters. I love all of them. Um, yeah, there's just, there's a lot. But with this also obviously comes some controversy. So this show is famously known for killing off people because of the world that they live in, and I completely understand. So there's this beloved character that was with Clark, and since she was a recurring character, I kind of knew that the likelihood of her sticking around was never a sure thing. Because if you're a recurring character or a guest star, chances are you're going to be killed off because... We don't need to deal with you anymore. So, because of that, I never grew attached to her until their main main cast. I don't grow attached to characters. So, um, and that really bit me in the ass this year, but it's fine. So, um, a lot of people rebelled when she was killed off, and they haven't let go yet. And if you've read about the show or been on Tumblr, you know exactly who I'm talking about. But... I didn't enjoy how she died, um, just because of the kill your gaze thing. Um, yeah, I didn't enjoy how they did it. They could have handled it a lot better. And the show has since apologized for it, but I don't see how the story would have progressed if they had kept her alive. Just because her death enacted all of the following events. And it was one of those amazing things that... We wouldn't have had information that we have 
now if she hadn't have died. So, though she could have died in a different way, she still had to die. So, I don't see how she could have lived. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it, it's awful to say that, but that's how it is. As a, and a writer, I, w I wouldn't know how else the story would have progressed without her death. So, this show also has two disabled characters, I think. There might be more, but two for sure. Um... So one is disabled from an injury, and she's one of the most badass characters. That's actually Raven, who I mentioned earlier. So um, I do have my problems with her and her constant bitchiness to this one specific character. But she is a pure genius, and everyone calls her that. She's a programmer, engineer, and she's all around awesome. So, so she does a lot of stuff with the STEM studies, and I just think it's really cool how they made a female character in charge of that instead of a male because that's traditionally a male thing but it just made Raven even cooler and the other character was born with the birth defect due to radiation because that's kind of radiation is going to affect people and um, they show that a lot in the show and those people are deemed not accepted into society and they actually call them freak drainas and so this character is an outcast and her kind of story arc is really battling of whether she she should fit into a society because she's always been known as the outcast so she's kind of always lurking in the background kind of like a shadow on the wall and she doesn't want to be seen and she doesn't trust many people so we really see her trying to find her place and in the last season we kind of see her um kind of our our other disabled character Raven we see her take this other character under her wing and it's really lovely so another thing I really love about the show is that they shake it up every season as well and it makes me want to improve my writing just because every season is like a movie where you have your big thing that happens and every season I'm like how how did they just do that and they the things that they do to earth in general is just it's awful but it is so cool to watch on tv and it makes it exciting to tune in every year and each season they're in a very different place on earth than they were before not you know geographically but like earth is in like either a healthy or an unhealthy place if that makes sense. If you're confused, you just have to watch the show. So, yeah, I often refer to each season as, like, a sequel to each other because they, it's not just a continuation. Like, the first few seasons, it is, but then when you get to, like, season three, four, five, and now six, it's, they start off in completely different places. So, it, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> So, and each year they push the world farther and farther, so we get to further explore the characters' trials and tribulations, as well as Earth's trials and tribulations. Um, they've done a hard reset on the show twice, and it's, it's crazy to me. And as a writer, it would be harder in that sense, because you kind of, as a writer, I want to continue building on the world that I've already built. But when you've reached the climax of where you felt that the story would go, 
It almost makes sense to do something like this, especially with the show that keeps getting renewed. And, like, I don't hate that it keeps getting renewed because I love it because we get season seven next year. So I'm super excited about that. But, like, just the fact that you can reset a world twice is mind-boggling to me. And it kind of makes me think of how could I do that with my own writing and just kind of, you know find ways to make the story and the world more interesting and for us to get to explore a new place like that's what I love about writing (laughs) like I get super nerdy every time I talk about it just because I love 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 the way that they write the world and like I said earlier with the world building it all kind of interweaves together and the fact that they can do things like this really strives for me to work harder and to push my world into kind of a similar situation. Not the exact situation per se, but something like crazy. And it kind of inspired me for my rewrite to kind of start it in a completely different way than where I originally had it set. And I'm super excited to kind of explore that. So this next section is that about the characters and I just find that the way that they write their characters is so inspiring. So <laughs> the longest section in here is going to be kind of my main section and it's Bellamy and Clark. So these are the two title characters. Um Cl- Clark is she's played by Eliza Taylor and she's the first name you will see on the credits and then Bob Morley, who plays Bellamy Blake, he's the third because Paige Turco got the second spot, but it's fine. So, um, I've mentioned him a few times. He's the male lead character, and he isn't technically part of the 100 that came down. He, um, there was 101 on the dropship, is what I'm going to say with that. He got on the dropship to protect his sister Octavia, who ended up on the dropship because having more than one child is illegal on the Ark, so, because they can survive if there's more than one child. So, I'm going to throw in a quick disclaimer here. I definitely ship these characters so, so much. So there's prob- that's probably going to affect the way I talk about them and how I see things that not everyone else sees, sees but it's important to kind of how I view them and how I um, see their friendship and relationship kind of thing. Not saying that they have a relationship, but um, I mostly talk about their friendship and then I kind of briefly talk about, or mention the um, ship thing. So, yeah, let's talk about their friendship. So, most male and female friendships on TV always leads to something more immediately. Um, there was a character named Finn in the first season. And, um, yeah, as soon as he met Clark, you're like, oh, well, they're going to get together. And guess what, guys? It happened. Uh, <laughs> so, basically, Bellamy and Clark hated each other at first because she's from the upper class side of the Ark and he's from the poorer side. I don't really know how this works on the Ark because they never really explained it, but basically, her mom's a doctor. His mom was the seamstress. I'm sure you can figure out why I say that, but <laughs> basically, they butted heads because all he saw of her was the privileged princess and... He was just the ass, basically. She said as much. So season one is the super cliche season, but it is what it is. 
And over time, they become this dynamic duo that's kind of phenomenal to explore their relationship with. And they eventually come to the point where they will do anything for each other. And they will protect each other. And they just rely on each other for so many things. And it's mostly support since they do run a camp of teenagers together. So, strictly speaking from a friendship perspective, this is so so addicting to watch because when you see them you can see that they like visually trust each other and because these two have this uncanny thing of just their eyes either drifting towards each other or like their bodies drifting towards each other and this when I was writing my notes for this episode I could only think of this one quote from Twilight that I'm going to read and I'm not even that big of a Twilight fan but I remember this and Bella's mom said this, so here we go. I'm quoting Stephanie Meyer. So it says, the way you move, you you orient yourself around him without even thinking about it. When he moves even a little bit, you adjust your position at the same time, like magnets or gravity. You're like a satellite or something. Now, that's not exactly the most beautiful saying, but that's, I remember that when I read Twilight, like, ten years ago. And... It's just, these two always have this thing about finding each other, and there's so many many scenes where they don't even have to talk. They just look at each other, and they seem to automatically know what they're thinking, where they need to be, or what their next move is. And it, in my current WIP, this is something I really wanted to work towards on my writing, because I think silence speaks louder than words. And I'm going to be clear, these characters I'm talking about are definitely going to be in a relationship one day, but... I want it to take its time, and I really want this strong foundation, and that's something I love looking at Bellamy and Clark's friendship with, because they have those stepping stones, and seeing where their friendship was founded on is super, super inspiring, and kind of, it gives me a place to start, and that starting point is so, so important, because Bellamy and Clark, they always drift towards each other, because they know they can rely on each other. And they have each other's backs no matter what. And this show really shows how to write male and female friendships. Because I don't see friendships like this anywhere else. Like, I'm watching... I'm also watching A Discovery of Witches right now. And immediately once Diana meets Matthew, you're like, they're going to get together. And by episode three, they've already kissed. So, and... (laughs) Whereas in this show... It's been five seasons, and they're super good friends. And I love watching that. And I very, very much love seeing kind of how it progresses each season and the things that they're willing to do for each other and things they aren't willing to do for each other is super inspiring and kind of gives you something to think about. Like, now... (laughs) I do want my characters to go down the romance route, and it's going to be a slow burn just because I feel like that gives me time to set up that foundation, and I don't want these two characters to look at each other and just fall in love. That's that's cliche, and that's the last thing I want. So I want it to take time for the, these people to get to that point, and I want them to spend time with each other, and I want these characters to have that trust and earn that trust with each other, because it would be a disservice to them if I did it any other way. But 
going into the romance thing, since I keep mentioning it, as a ship, they are phenomenal, Bellamy and Clark. So, shipping culture has been a huge thing on the internet for years. Like, I, I was talking to someone yesterday about my first ship, and I'm pretty sure it was Lizzie and Gordo from Lizzie McGuire. And I love shipping. I've always loved shipping. Now, I mentioned that Harry Potter is not on my favorite list, but I did really love Harry and Hermione, and you can at me all you want saying that I'm wrong, but in my mind, I am not wrong. They would have been great. Um, didn't really like Ginny. It's fine. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Now, a book doesn't necessarily have to have romance, but I find that I love books more if they do, just because that's my personality. I know V.E. Schwab with, I think, oh god, what's that book called? Um, Our Dark Duet, I think. Um, I'm looking that up quick. Schwab. Yeah, she wrote a book that doesn't have any romance in it, and, um, yeah. Oh, The Savage Song and Our Dark Duet. Our Dark Duet was the sequel. Um, I just couldn't remember the first book, but, yeah, this series, or duology, rather, it doesn't have any romance in it from what I've heard about it, and I think that's really cool, but, like I said, I prefer a story to have romance, just because it gives something for the reader to look forward to, and because I love having that subplot intertwined into the story, so I don't make it, like, a romance story featuring science fiction aspects, I always make it, like, it's intertwined, and the whole plot of the book is the science fiction stuff, so... Yeah, and I love romance because when I'm writing a book, I am that person who thinks about the potential fan art that my characters could have. <laughs> so when I was on Wattpad, people would occasionally send me drawings either via Twitter, Instagram, or my P.O. box that is still alive because I haven't canceled it. Um, so people would occasionally send me drawings of my characters, and they were honestly my favorite thing. I still have some of the pieces people sent me. Um, I actually have a folder on, I, th I think, my Gmail of just fan art people sent me over the years, my old covers and everything, and it's really cool to look back on and just be like, yeah, yeah, I, I did that. <laughs> I created that world that people really loved. Um, it's still that story that I get messaged about all the time. But with Bellamy and Clark, the way that these characters are e around each other, they make it so easy to be persuaded into shipping them that... I don't know how people look at them and don't think that they will ever get together just because of the looks. You know, it's it's all about the looks and the intimate interactions because they have a lot of, like, very intimate hugs. I mean, guys, they won the sexiest moment with a hug last year. I don't know how how they did that, but it happened, and I'm all here for it. So, yeah. And then my final section, and my final point on this, is that the way characters are first presented isn't necessarily how they will be seen later down the line. So, this show most notably has the craziest character arcs. Like, I'm thinking about some characters and the place where they started in season one, or wh wherever, whatever season they first presented, they are no longer that person. And it is crazy to think about 
So my notables are Clark, Bellamy, Octavia, Marcus Kane, and a season five character called Charmaine Dioza. These characters, let me tell you, are crazy with their developments. Like, this show really plays around the concept of who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. And it shows us how a situation and kind of the world that they're dealt with can really make us shine or throw us into the darkness. And um, Octavia is the perfect example for this. She she started off as this character who is often referred to as the girl under the floor because she wasn't supposed to be born. So she was the girl under the floor. And though this is a term that is still very near and dear to her, she's moved across the story earning titles such as Sky Rippa and Blood Raina. Blood Raina. So the latter is where it really gets interesting, but obviously I won't go into that because that's a spoiler. But with Octavia and even Clark, they really showed that even though we know of them as the hero of the story, they aren't always the good guys. And please remember that phrase, good guys, because they say it a lot. Um, because Clark's always like, I tried to be the good guy. And yeah, it's it's a phrase that you will hear over and over again in this show. But the anti-hero is such a huge concept with this. Um, in in the show, really, and Clark becomes one Heda at some point, which means Commander of Death, and yeah, this show is basically darker than the description I read you guys at the beginning. So, and this really inspires me because it kind of proves to me that characters are, the characters in this world, per se, are just morally gray. I think that's the right phrasing I want, but... <laughs> I'm I have no notes anymore. I have read all my notes. Um, but yeah, the characters are kind of in this gray area where you don't know where they're going because of the world that they live in. And I think that's so fascinating as a writer to look at and be like, I don't know where these characters are going at all. Like it is so, they don't have this formulaic system that they follow. And it's so interesting to see where they started this season and where they end and how their relationships with each other evolved. Like, most notably, Bellamy and his sister, that's the craziest one of them all. Like, season one, he was ride or die for Octavia. And, well, clearly it's not that way anymore. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I won't go into why or anything, but, like, the character arcs are just phenomenal. And I think... It's one of the most rewarding ones. And a lot of people complain about Octavia. But I think she's definitely the best one. And definitely the one that has the most shine to her. Um, Dioza was the surprising one. I didn't think she'd make my notable list. But when I think of people who present as a bad guy and become a good guy, she is the one I think of. So, yeah. That's really all I have for this. Um, I went on 40 minutes in this section, so I hope you stuck with me this entire episode just talking about The 100, because I really love the show. Um, I tried to involve as much writing as I could into this, but I don't know if I succeeded at all. I really hope I did. And I tried to. That's why I had my notes. Um, but I... I think this show is one of those shows that just provides endless inspiration and every year I find myself going on Pinterest and finding 
new things to inspire me. Like, yeah, with this book planning project that I'm doing and I'm making a video for, I literally, for days, went on Pinterest and found images from not necessarily just the show, but, like, most of it's from the show just because I find things about it so inspiring and, like, a lot of the phrases I find inspiring, like blood must have blood and everything and it's just like the way that these characters behave with the world around them and then the culture that is created is just so incredibly inspiring to me and I find kind of the meaning behind the show even the themes like you know um love is weakness um kind of the morality of it all like am I a good guy or am I or am I a bad guy, you know? Those things are really kind of what hit it home for me. And I aspire to write a, go a story as good as this one. And I'm sorry if this was rambly. But I literally call this podcast The Ramblings of a Writer. And so I, I'm sure you're not shocked. But here we are at the end. So I will wrap this up now and roll into the outro. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. You can find me on all social media. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Wattpad, and Spotify as at AJ Winter Books, and on Goodreads as at AJ Winter. If you need to contact me at all, feel free to leave me a voice message through the Anchor app, or you can find my email address on my website, ajwinterbooks.com. Thanks again for listening. I can't wait to chat again later. Bye!